I've had many clients ask me, why is the sex so good? When the relationship is like really wretched and toxic and bad, like why is the sex so good? This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love, and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful humans? Welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. It's just me today doing a solo episode. I wanted to talk a little bit about toxic relationships versus healing relationships. What are they? How do we spot the difference? And how do we learn to cultivate more of those healthier healing relationships in our lives? So let's dive right in and let's start looking at toxic relationships. Now, the obvious one here is relationships in which there's abuse present, neglect, abuse, physical, emotional, psychological, verbal, and abuse is a spectrum. Sometimes it's not always easy to spot. Sometimes it starts to happen slowly over time and progresses. And there's an analogy that I heard when I was younger and in a very toxic relationship that really hit home for me, which is that if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in room temperature water and slowly boil it, boil it, it will stay there and it will die. Now, I think that's not actually true, <laughs> but it's a good analogy to kind of think into and start to feel into how we start to maybe allow certain behaviors or uh, toxicity. But what I also think is really important and what I want to discuss today is how we can take responsibility for how we contribute to these types of energies. So for most of us as children, we have some kind of an environmental failure or failures, right? So some of us experienced abuse, some of us experienced neglect, and all of us experienced experienced some kind of environmental failures. So an environmental failure is when you don't get your needs met as a little one, whether the environment fails you, whether your parents fail you, whether society fails you, there's some kind of a failure in the environment that means that you as a little one don't get your needs met. Now we all going to experience that and we're very resilient. So we can bounce back from that. We can bounce back from, from anything. There's always a path to healing, right? And sometimes those paths are longer and more difficult depending on what we've faced. But luckily we all have neuroplasticity, which means that we all have the capacity to grow and change, even if we've been deeply traumatized with the right support. Uh, so that aside, these environmental failures, if done consistently, if we consistently feel that our needs are not being met as kids, what will happen is we will adapt. We will find some kind of survival strategy to adapt to that environmental failure. So we're essentially adapting to the toxicity, to the failure. And it is a really intelligent design because we are designed to survive. But what can happen is the ways that we learn to survive as little ones carry on and we carry them into our adulthood and we bring them as this like hidden agenda into our relationships. And that can create a lot of toxicity and confusion. It's kind of like the patterns that repeat in relationship. And we're like, hang on a minute. I thought I, I thought I just dealt with this relationship. And now I'm in a really similar one with really similar problems and really similar patterns. Only it's a different person. What's going on here? Well, could be that the survival technique that you adapted as a little one. So let's say, for example, you 
uh, you're crying and you're crying and you're crying and you don't get picked up and you don't get picked up and you don't get picked up. And so how do you learn to deal with that? How do you learn to self-soothe? If it happens once, happens twice, but if it's consistently happening, what do we do to adapt to that? Maybe we learn to disconnect from our bodies, to disassociate from the pain so that we can survive, which is a pretty intelligent survival strategy in that moment if we're really young and we don't have um, any other strategies or ideas of how to cope. Maybe we're a little bit older and our parents lack attunement and they are um, not giving us space when we need space and approaching um, when we need space and then not coming to us when we need connection. And because we're young and we're little, we don't really fully know how to express our needs yet. We don't know how to regulate our nervous systems. We actually need the help of our adult caregivers to regulate our nervous systems and then eventually enlist us in that process and teach us and support us in learning how to do that for ourselves. Many of us did not get that. And so we develop all these other strategies to survive. Now, at the same time, even while we're not having our needs met, even while we're learning to survive in whatever environmental failures you you survived, right? Because you may have had a really healthy upbringing and an extremely secure environment, in which case perhaps this impacts you less. Amazing. Uh, for most of us, though, that's not the case. Uh, and so that's why I also believe this work, work of personal development, emotional intelligence, healing, spirituality is really not just like some superfluous fun thing, because when we heal, we stop passing on the generational trauma. We stop creating the same failing environments that breed the same habits that then go on to reinforce and continue to create those similar environments. And so when we do this work, we heal ourselves. We get to potentially, if we choose to have children, create healing spaces for our children. And then we create a healed world. <laughs> like imagine our world leaders, if they all had healed nervous systems and had done this work. So it's really um, not at all frivolous or superfluous from my perspective. It's, it's imperative that we get to do this work, not only for ourselves, but for the world. So Let's say you have these environmental failures and you're learning how to survive and adapt. Like it might be disconnecting from your body, disconnecting from your parents, disconnecting from your needs. That's a big one. Oh, I'm not getting my needs met. I just don't need anything. And so we get this like pride-based identification that layers on top of the pain to cover it up so that as little ones, we don't have to deal with that pain. It's too, too intense psychologically. Another one is, is that we inherit the story. Oh, I'm not feeling loved. I must be unlovable. What's interesting about that is it's actually easier for a child psychologically to bear that thought than it is to think my parent just isn't capable of loving me the way that I need to be loved right now, which is really the truth. They're doing the best they can. And in this moment, they're failing me. They're not meeting my needs. And this is the best they can do. That's way scarier for a child to wrap their head around because that means that they need their parent to be able to love them because they need their parent in order to be able to survive. That's more like a threat to their life, right? And that's why this thing feels, these things can feel so big in our system because we need our parents to survive as little ones. We can't survive on our own. And many of us learn how to adapt and pretty much do that, but we're still registering these failures as potential threat to life. That's how it feel, can feel in a, in a little system. And so we can learn in those moments perhaps to say, well, it's easier to absorb the idea I'm unlovable than it is to imagine that my parent is failing me and actually isn't capable of loving me how I need to be loved. That's harder to accept. And so we ingest this story as a protective mechanism. 
as an adaptation for survival or we ingest this idea of my needs aren't being met. How am I going to survive that? It's easier for the system to deal with. I'm just really strong and I don't need anything. And so we learn to take on these stories as part of our identity based on how we learned to survive. So how does this all fit into relationships? Well, it's the hidden agenda that we're bringing into all of our relationships, right? We look around and most of us haven't had help crossing the threshold from child to adult. We haven't had help integrating all of these unmet needs. No one's taught us, oh, actually, as you grow older, you are the one who gets to meet those needs. Many of us have never been taught about self-parenting, that even though you've experienced environmental failures and as a child, you couldn't do anything about that. Now you're an adult and it's different and the scene has changed and you can. And the path to healing is recognizing the need and meeting it, recognizing the need and meeting it. Most of us didn't get that, right? When didn't realize that. So we're just walking around with these highly charged, unmet childhood needs. And what do we bring into our romantic relationships? Highly charged, unmet childhood needs. And for most of us, we're looking around and we're trying to find someone who reminds us of the caregiver who perpetuated the original wound. We're like, oh, I didn't get any attention or I didn't feel like I got much attention as a child and I was starving for attention. Let me find the most unavailable partner around who reminds me of that person who didn't give me any attention and let's start a relationship with them. And what the inner child is saying is it's like, I will finally be lovable enough. I'm going to be lovable enough so that they finally do give me attention. And that's how I'm going to resolve this pain inside of me. But we're picking people who are literally reminding us of the original wound. And therefore, of course, if you choose an unavailable partner, they're not going to all of a sudden, most likely not, turn into a really available, secure partner who's going to give you the attention that you've been craving. And the interesting thing is when we've got this really charged, unmet childhood need, you'd think we would go to secure partners who could give us that attention that we desire. We're usually repelled by that. And now this can apply into all different types of adapt adaptations, like the way we chose to survive, whether it's disassociation, whether it's um, unmet needs, like, you know, it can look different. So I'm just using this as an example, but the, the blueprint works out the same if you follow me. So then we get into this relationship. <laughs> We've chosen someone who reminds us of the of our caregivers or the, the, the primary caregiver or anyone who perpetuated this original wound. And we start to experience the wound. I don't feel chosen. I don't feel like my needs are getting mad. I feel helpless. And so what we're not seeing, then we start to reinforce the identity, which is I'm never chosen. I'm never seen. My needs are never met. See, this is just how it is. We're reinforcing that identity without realizing that we're the ones now that we're adults. This is the big shift. When we were children, we didn't have any control. So we're still inhabiting that belief like I can't do anything about this. I'm just never chosen. My needs are not met without realizing that, that the scene has changed. I'm an adult now. I'm choosing to be in relationship with this person. It's not my family that I'm just born into that I can't choose. I'm choosing this person. I'm choosing them. And therefore I'm contributing actually to reinforcing this identity that I'm not chosen and my needs aren't met. Now that can be hard to realize, but once we recognize it, we're like, oh my goddess, what I thought I had no control over, that I'm just a billiard ball being knocked around the table of life, I start to realize how much I've contributed through choices to reinforcing this pattern. And absolutely, have I been through this? Yes, 100%, <laughs> 1000%. 
I've experienced this and ending up in these really toxic dynamics. And then what happens in these toxic dynamics? It's really can be very interesting. And maybe you're watching or listening and you've experienced this. I've had many clients ask me, why is the sex so good? When the relationship is like really wretched and toxic and bad, like why is the sex so good? And I love Dr. Emily Nagoski's uh, explanation for this in her book, Come As You Are. Fantastic read if you haven't read it. So incredible, really easy to read, super educational on female or people with pussies sexuality. And what she says about this is that when you are busting to pee, you really need to go, right? And you sit down and you go to the bathroom and you're like, oh, wow, this pee feels amazing. This is the best feeling pee ever. Like near orgasmic sometimes, right? I don't know, maybe not that for you, but like feels way better than any other pee. She's like, is it that the physical sensation of that pee is actually better than any other physical sensation when you pee? Or is it that it's heightened because you needed to go so badly? The contrast informs your experience of the sensation. And so in toxic relationships, sex is an attachment behavior. We use sex as mammals, as animals that we are to connect because that is our pr- the primary driving force within us for safety, yes, and connection. Like we are here to connect. We are connected beings. We are social animals. So sex for us is actually about securing, creating, reinforcing, experiencing the connection. And so if that connection is constantly disrupted, interrupted, feels like a shit show, if you're in a toxic relationship, I've been in one of those where it's just like, there's no connection. There's just abuse and toxicity. But when you make love, all of a sudden you're experiencing that, oh my God, the release of needing to go so bad, needing to pee so bad of like, oh my God, I'm so disconnected. I'm so unchosen. I'm so not met. I'm so not seen. I'm so abused to any spectrum. And now, oh my goddess, I feel seen. I feel chosen. I feel connected through the act of sex. And so then it becomes very addictive and it's like this pain pleasure cycle that we can get stuck into. I'm curious how many of you have experienced this. If you're listening let me know on Instagram. If you follow me at Angelika Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A, let me know. Come and let me know. Have you experienced this? If you're watching this on YouTube, comment below. Have you had an experience where you're stuck in a kind of addictive pain pleasure cycle in a toxic relationship? And can you notice how you may have actually been contributing to that toxicity? I mean, you might've just blatantly been contributing to it by, you know, not showing up as your best self and manipulation and all the things that come along with toxic relationships when really at the root of it, you're just trying to find safety and connection again. But if we're not taught how to do that in a healthy way from when we're little, we might use manipulation. We might use control. We might use unhealthy submission. We might use all of these different tactics just to try and secure feeling the need that wasn't met as a child being met in that relationship. And that's the hidden agenda. Can you see what your hidden agenda may have been if you've been in a toxic relationship? And so that's one way to spot it. (laughs) And it's hard to spot because it's usually unconscious. And so maybe you're in one right now and you're having a realization, oh my goddess. Or maybe you're looking back on past relationships and you probably knew that it wasn't healthy, right? I imagine, because you can feel it in your system when you're not feeling empowered. And that's a big difference between a healing relationship, a healthy relationship, and a toxic relationship is do I feel empowered to do my work? 
because nobody's going to do your work for you. That's not a healthy or healing relationship that someone's going to do your work for you. It doesn't work. (laughs) You don't get to skip doing your work, but do you, are you within the container of a relationship? And this can be healing relationships can be therapeutic relationships. Absolutely. That's a healing relationship. Healing relationships can be friendships. And of course, ultimately romantic relationships. Is this a relationship within which I feel more empowered, more supported to do my work? Toxic relationship? Is this a relationship within which I feel consistently and progressively disempowered over time from doing my work? So sometimes initially you don't feel disempowered, but progressively over time, you're less and less empowered to do your work, to own your stuff, to heal, to up-level, to thrive, to grow. You'll also be able to tell because I remember the most toxic relationships that I've been in and even relationships, honestly, that weren't as toxic behaviorally, but that I was in with my hidden agenda that I was totally unaware of. So I was in unconscious patterns of like trying to control the flow of love, um, insecure, worried they're going to leave. Like, so using all the tactics I could using my sexuality as something that to hook them, keep them to maintain that connection, like all of that unconscious behavior over time drained me. And there wasn't even, you know, there are certain relationships I've been in that were highly toxic and I would say at times abusive. And there are other relationships that I've been in where I simply was in toxicity. And so I was in unconscious behaviors and I wasn't showing up to that relationship fully aware of my hidden agenda, (laughs) my healing and taking responsibility for my healing. And even in those relationships that weren't outright toxic or abusive, over time I felt progressively exhausted because that takes so much energy trying to secure love, secure being chosen through these like um, unconscious ways of communicating um, and manipulating and controlling. And hey, control and manipulation can look like always doing what they want so that they don't leave you. Control and manipulation can look like always saying yes when you really mean no. Control and manipulation can look like abandoning yourself and what you really want for what they want. So doesn't it always have to be like when we think of the word control and manipulation, usually you think of like domination and like abuse and those things are control, but there are more subtle ways that are like socially acceptable and even go in with being a nice guy or a nice girl, but actually you're using your overgiving to manipulate that person to stay because you're afraid that they'll leave if you show them who you really are and what you really want. And that's the opportunity that we have in relationship ultimately. Am I going to reveal more of who I am or am I going to conceal more of who I am? And that's a big distinction. If I'm concealing who I am, I'm going to be progressively disempowered to do my work because if I can't see myself, then I'm losing awareness and I'm not looking at who I am and what I need. And therefore I'm totally inhibited from healing and doing my work and having true intimacy, honestly. Or am I using this as a space to progressively reveal more of who I am as I gain more trust, as we gain more safety, as we deepen together? Do I continually take the opportunity to lean into revealing who I am and what I need and where I hurt and all and and where I am in joy? Because that can be really vulnerable too. Celebrating ourselves is as excruciatingly vulnerable as uh, asking for help or showing where we've messed up or the pain that we have. So that difference between concealment or revealing that difference between feeling empowered or disempowered. And here's the other thing, right? Like I'm in a deeply healing relationship with my soon to be husband, Patrick. And 
we had like, you know, troubles in the beginning for sure. So it's not to say that you never argue or you never have disagreements. So you never have rough moments. We've certainly had our fair share, but the difference with Patrick is that I always felt an underlying uh, energy of goodness, like right intention, like deep care for my well-being. And I always felt this underlying intention within myself uh, of deep care for his well-being. And so although we may forget in moments and fall into unconscious like power struggle, which is a big thing in relationship, right? It's like they do something that triggers you and instead of just owning it and saying, hey, I'm noticing I'm feeling X and I'm feeling that way because I recognize I need Y and I take full responsibility for how I'm contributing to the dynamic we're experiencing by doing X, Y, Z, thinking X, Y, Z, saying X, Y, Z. I see that and I own that. And so I'm wondering if you would be willing to X, Y, Z, make a request, give them the keys to win. Conscious communication 101, folks. <laughs> so there are times I'm not doing that and I'm not using that formula, right? And, and that's where most of us get tripped up. So they do something that activates our pain or our defenses and we haven't done the work to reveal enough of who we are in a relationship to ourselves. We don't even know ourselves well enough because we've practiced concealing, 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 usually based on that childhood wounding, the way that we've learned to adapt, right? To disassociate, to disconnect, to act like we don't need anything, all of these different ways that we learn to disconnect from who we really are and what we really need. And so that reconnection process with self of learning to track how we feel in our bodies, learning to notice what those emotions are pointing to that we need and value, learning to then express that consciously, learning to meet our own needs, notice the needs as they arise, we know ourselves well enough to actually stay connected to those needs and then consistently practice fulfilling those needs so that we can actually show up to relationship without these huge charged childhood unmet needs that actually make it difficult for people to meet our needs. Go figure. It's like this idea of like, okay, yeah, I need to love myself before I can truly let love in. What does that really mean? It's kind of more complex than that because the truth is how we are loved determines how much we are able to love ourselves, at least initially. Like how you are loved as a child determines a lot about your attachment. Like, am I secure in myself? Do I feel love and thoughts of well-being? Or have I have I ingested that idea that I must be wrong or broken or that the world must be wrong or broken and have, you know, disrupted attachment because of that? So the love that we receive is actually a healing force. So that's why I wanted to talk about healing relationships because we don't heal in isolation. We're not isolated beings. We heal in community. We heal in relationship. And the but end is, am I empowered in this relationship to do my own work? The inner child says, I want you to do it for me because that's what they needed. The adult, the, the maturation happens when we say, I recognize that I need this, that this is how I am feeling. And I'm curious if you'd want to contribute to my well-being in this moment. And here's how you could do that, right? As opposed to, and if you don't, I will. There's the adult. Come what may, I'm going to take care of my well-being. That is my number one priority. I'm going to make sure that I'm okay and that I'm well. And on top of that, if we can do that together and that you take care of yourself and you make sure you're well, and then you can like let me in on, hey, by the way, when you do X in situation Y, it makes me feel Z. So I would prefer if you would 
<laughs> do X, Y, Z to contribute to my well-being. How do you feel about that? Then we can have a conversation. All of a sudden, communication becomes a vessel for, as uh, I highly recommend reading Nonviolent Communication, if you haven't read it, brilliant book. And in that book, he talks about shifting the intention for communication from, I want to get what I need. I want to change your behavior. You need to be better or different to how can we get everybody's needs met compassionately? If you start communicating from that space, all of a sudden it's like, huh, well, I want to know how you feel and and how you got there and like what's happening for you. But I can't lean into that curiosity if this person isn't in responsibility because then they're in blame or projection usually. And then I'm in defense. Recognize that pattern. So we both have to acknowledge that we have responsibility for whatever dynamic is occurring. Always, right? It's not like if someone is in a shit mood or they're spewing out things, I can walk away. I can not be affected by it. I can, you know, if, if, and if that's the case, then there's no conflict. Conflict's only arising if we're bumping up against each other. Even if one person is doing a whole bunch of stuff, right? There wouldn't be an energy between you if you weren't also contributing to that dynamic somehow. And it's also, I mean, gosh, this stuff can get complex, but it's like very simple, but at times complex, right? Relationships, <laughs> never ending well for growth, because I also don't want anyone listening to then turn around and try and use that as an excuse to stay in an abusive relationship. Well, I'm contributing to this somehow. You're contributing by staying. That's your contribution. So you need to get yourself to safety. And that's how you stop contributing to that dynamic. Don't use it as some spiritual test for how loving and accepting you can be. That's not real. You have to take care of your well-being first before you can contribute to the well-being of the relationships and those around you. That's just how it works. So big, big, <laughs> big topic. So much more that I could say on that. But I hope in listening to this, perhaps you've had to think about perhaps what your hidden agenda has been that you've brought into relationships, your romantic relationships, perhaps specifically from childhood. What was that really unmet need? If you stop and you think about that, maybe even close your eyes if you're not driving or it's safe to do so and feel into what did I yearn most for as a child? Just see what comes through. First answer, visualize yourself as a little one. What are you yearning for? What did you really need? Maybe something's come through like connection support, guidance, permission, acceptance, whatever it is. And then notice, how did you learn to go without? First answer that comes through. Whatever it is that you said you needed, how did you learn to go without? What was the survival technique you adapted? And how has that contributed to the relationships that you have today? So just seeing it compassionately, not judging it. It's so interesting when we try to control our control or shame our shame or judge our judgment. It's an interesting merry-go-round. I've definitely been on it. It doesn't seem to help. But when I can embrace it and find a way to, how does it make sense that I am who I am in relationship, given the life that I've lived, the experiences that I've had, the things I've survived, and maybe just maybe that understanding, that clarity of seeing the really charged unmet need and how you adapted to surviving with what felt like going without it and seeing how that's impacted your relationships today. Maybe you could just look at that with a compassionate lens and say, huh, it makes sense. And when it makes sense, it's a little easier to be compassionate. And when you're compassionate and accepting, it's actually when we can change. 
when we reject who we are, when we deny aspects of who we are, we just keep splitting off. We just keep creating the same fragmentation that created the pattern in the first place. So what is integration actually? It's welcoming in all parts of us. It's embracing what's here. How do we know? Because it's here, as Matt Kahn says, it's the next part in line. Whatever arises within you is the next part within you in line to be loved. And I like to add to that, to be loved and to be healed through that love. And so if it's here, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, whatever the pattern is that you're experiencing in relationships, it's calling for your attention. It's pointing to something. It's information. It's not for us to judge ourselves, but to learn. And there's the key for healing relationships. If we choose that our North Star is growth, then nothing in life is wasted on us. I like to say that about the traumatic experiences that I've had. Nothing will be wasted on me. I'm here to grow. I came to grow. And I think you did too because you're here listening to a podcast like this. You came to grow. So everything is fertilizer. And you know what fertilizer is made of, right? (laughs) And if that is the case, then we can make it through anything. Life is going to do what it does. Life's going to erupt in spectacular fashion, beauty, violence, chaos, wonder, magic, mess. Life is just like that, right? It just is just happening all around. So how can we show up and change how we meet life, how we embrace life? And then when, then you start to see that everything is about relationships. And this is what I believe. This is why as a, a spiritual teacher, I focus on love, sex, and relationships because I believe that everything is about relationships. It's about relating. How do I relate to my thoughts? How do I relate to this moment? How do I relate to this person, my pain? And we can start to see with that compassion and that growth commitment that I'm here to grow that we get to relate to everything that happens, has happened, will happen in a different way. And then it it becomes for us because we get to choose that. You don't have to choose that everything that's happened to you happened for you. Sometimes it really doesn't fucking feel that way. Trust me, I get it. And yet what I have found for myself is that when I choose that lens, that's like the courageous thing to say, I am choosing that that's happened for me because I'm choosing to use it for my growth pretty badass and it hasn't failed me. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes I need support. Sometimes it takes me a long time to integrate stuff because it's really painful or the trauma's deep. But if I just stay committed to that, then my relationship with myself is a healing relationship. And then I can be a little more discerning about the types of relationships I choose because I'm aware of my hidden agenda in relationships. I'm aware of my darkness. I'm aware of my pain. I'm aware of my trauma. We all have it. Ain't nobody perfect. <laughs> That's just not the truth. We can, we can let that dirty little secret out the bag, the one that we're all meant to keep. I'm deeply flawed. So are you. And <laughs> I'm still worthy of love and belonging. And so are you. And so when we can have a little bit more awareness of the pain, the traumas that we've survived, the ways that we've adapted to those traumas to continue to survive and how we've brought that into our current relationships and how actually we're empowered now as adults to choose differently, that we can affect change, and that it's okay, whatever we've done before this is okay. It makes sense given the experiences that we've had. And all we get to do now is notice it more and choose to keep growing through it. And in that, we start to cultivate more healing relationships with others, a deeper healing relationship with ourselves, and we become a healing presence for the world. I truly believe that, that when we do the work to regulate our nervous systems, and we all start at different points, depending how much trauma we've experienced, it's not as easy sometimes to climb that hill, but it is possible. 
There is a healing path for all of us if we choose it. And gaining support is a big part of that. And then when we do and we have this regulated nervous system, which is not about never having a dark thought or never having an off day. It's about seeing it and how do I relate to it? What's my relationship with my darkness? How do I take care of myself through that? Then you are a healing presence for the world, my friend. You walk into a goddamn supermarket and people feel it's called co-regulation. It's a real thing. We regulate to each other's nervous systems. That's how much we're designed for connection. You walk in and instead of dropping to the frequency of the room, you hold your energy with loving care. People can start to entrain to that frequency around you. You're literally a healing presence when you heal yourself. So I hope this deep dive illuminated perhaps a little more about the patterns of toxicity that you may have adapted as a survival strategy, compassion, and how you can start to perhaps see them more clearly so that you can take the empowerment to choose another choice, to recognize you are empowered to choose another choice. Ah, thank you for being here with me today. I do not take it for granted for one second that you are gifting me your most precious resource, your presence, your time, your energy, your attention. May you guard that fiercely knowing that it is so worthy of protection because you are so valuable and it is so valuable. So thank you. May we all continue to align with growth and to continue to help elevate the consciousness on this planet and to awaken love. I'll see you guys next time. That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.